You're listening to Grow and Tell with Estelle May. She's a no-nonsense, hard-hitting, tell-you-like-it-is kind of host. Because you know those overwhelming things we avoid in life? Turns out they're not so scary once you break them down. Whether it's effectively managing your career, being vulnerable in your relationships, or working on your financial literacy, she believes the best version of ourselves involves being brave and well-informed. Estelle May invites a wide range of guests, from doctors to dreamers, mothers, scientists, and artists. Come join her and find the courage to land that job, pay off that debt, forgive that friend, and fall in love with yourself. If you're looking to laugh, learn, and grow together, you're in the right place. So put on your big girl pants and let's figure this out together. Here's your host, Estelle May. Hey everyone, Estelle May here. When the protests for Black Lives Matter started in June, I found myself becoming silent. I was afraid to say the wrong thing on social media or do the wrong thing, and what I realized is that my inaction was saying something in itself. I decided that I could reach out to friends in my own community and share their stories through my podcast. I am beyond excited to share my conversation with Felicia Johnson. Fun fact, Felicia was roommates with my sister in college and I've always creeped on her over the years as she was an incredible college athlete and wound up founding Philippe Performance. We chat about her experience growing up as a young black woman, the positive and negative impacts of COVID, and her new chapter becoming a mother. Now let's jump on over to my talk with Felicia. So excited to hear from you. So thank okay. you. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so I guess I'd maybe start with your, you know, your background. Yeah. So um, my parents are both from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. They they met in college and they're both from very small towns. My dad is from a town of like, oh, a hundred people. My mom, maybe a couple thousand, but wow. um, very small. And, you know, the black community it's stuck together, you know everyone, and they both grew up in a time where segregation was big and desegregation was starting to happen. So my my mom um, was a senior in Arkansas when her high school got desegregated, and that was an experience in itself. And mm. through these last few years of a lot of these senseless killings of Black men and women, you know, that conversation comes up more, and I've just had these, like, in-depth combos with her of you know what it was like growing up during that time mm-hmm. and hearing her talk about how you know she was scared to go to high school and to go to a new school where they were desegregating and you know there was just 15 of them but hundreds of you know white individuals and so that her parents you know were scared and her mom was scared to have her go to a school like that, but also knew how important it was to kind of be um, a pioneer in that sense and start that tradition and start something changing. But um, yeah, they they both uh, have their own different stories about that. But for my mom, you know, she, she got called an N-word multiple times and she's got her own little stories that she shared of, you know, she is, <laughs> mom does not back down from anybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was very... <laughs> I had a smile on my face, but also laughing when she told me about, you know, you know, people calling her the N-word and, and her response to it and mm-hmm. saying, no, that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're using that to talk down to me and put me, make me feel small. But, you know, maybe that's who you are. Maybe. In, and just to hear about how people respond to like, oh, wait, what? You're mm-hmm. supposed to be scared and run. And she just stood her ground um, mm. and, and having to have that strength 
at a time like that when that's not common you know mm-hmm. where her she's like if my mom my grandma would have known what I was saying <laughs> back to people mm-hmm. she would have been so upset like no you don't do that mm-hmm. um but she also has a story but um when she was about 11 and there was the colored bathrooms and there was the non-colored bathrooms or white bathrooms and so the colored bathrooms had a line and the white one didn't and so mm-hmm. my mom was like okay so she went into the white bathroom and used it and my grandma couldn't my grandma was like where'd she go and she came out of the white bathrooms and she was like snatched her and was like fine why would you do that no and, and had to explain to her mm. what she was doing and what that was going to lead to and my mom at this young age was still kind of like no that's wrong why mm-hmm. but there was no answer to it and so i, I just felt like she was a little young activist mm-hmm. before she even knew it um and so i definitely feel like I've learned from her about speaking up about Mm -hmm. things that are wrong and her being in the seventies doing that. And now here we are in 2020 and having the same conversations, having the same issues, not as obvious maybe back then Mm -hmm. in black and white, but it's still very serious. My parents met in Arkansas, moved to Mm -hmm. St. Louis, and then my dad worked for law enforcement. My mom's a teacher and they made their way to California. Mm-hmm. And back then, it was so rare for someone to leave their community. You mm-hmm. know, their community was in St. Louis. It was in Arkansas. It's about four or five hour drive. That's all they knew. And for them to uproot themselves and move to California, which was seen like as like Hollywood. We don't live in LA. <laughs> we live in the Bay Area. But all of our family always thinks we live in Hollywood and we see stars. <laughs> like that's just how like yeah. California was seen to them. Like, oh my goodness. And it was like, mm-hmm. no, we're moving to Northern California, but okay. But they moved because of multiple things. They, it was part of my dad's job to be reassigned, but also they wanted something different and bigger and better for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they moved to say, to San Francisco area, my mom told my dad he went first to find a house and was like, you know, I just want a school close by and I want to park. And that's kind of like the big focus of what I want in the house. You can do that. Mm-hmm. So he found one. But back then, like living close to his job in the city, there was no like land like that. Like you couldn't have a backyard and coming from the south, like they're used to having land. Mm-hmm. And so the closest place they can get where it felt like there was a good community, but you had some of a backyard was a town called Benicia. Mm-hmm. And so Benicia is prominently white. Um, it's a community where I don't even know the percentage, but it's, I was always maybe two, two black people in the class. Mm-hmm. And that's just how I grew up. Mm-hmm. That's what became normal for me is, is being in these spaces where I was the minority. And um, when you're in a community like that, black community kind of sticks together. So we found the black neighbors down the street, across the way, and the kids all hung out together. Mm-hmm. And so you saw that the families made it a, in their minds, like an effort to bring everyone together. Mm-hmm. Even if, you know, we're only 2% of the population in this town, mm-hmm. we're going to find each other and make sure our kids know what it's like to see someone who looks like them, to play mm-hmm. with someone who looks like them. And so as much as I was used to being the minority in my classroom, mm-hmm. when it came to playdates and having birthday parties, I knew every black person in the community because mm-hmm. they made their effort to do that. Um, but it didn't take away from growing up and realizing like, I've never had a, a black teacher 
in elementary, middle school, or high school. It, like that's just became the norm for me. And I would go back to the South every summer and be just amazed by seeing black people yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so there was just kind of this feeling of like, wow, this is what my parents grew up in and here is how I'm growing up mm-hmm. and how I navigate that and having those conversations with my parents of, you know, um, you know, this is the community that you live in. These are expectations we have of you. Like we have a little bit harder than someone who is white. Understanding mm-hmm. that, understanding of, you know, where I need to be and how I need to navigate certain situations having those conversations. I have two older brothers, mm-hmm. you know, and letting them know of how they need to handle themselves in certain situations. And it wasn't as like deep conversation as I feel like parents are having now with their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't coverage of that. There wasn't like things being shown in the news of black people getting killed every day from cops. It wasn't mm-hmm. like that. So it was more of a, just a life lesson, not so much of like, hey, here's what's happening and responding to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that kind of just began to continue to happen in my life of going to a college where it's predominantly white as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm always having to, I feel like navigate myself in those spaces and growing up and being now in my thirties, I've learned a new level of Mm self-love of not feeling like I have to switch of like on and off of being too black, being not black enough. Mm. And I I felt like that a lot, you know, with being surrounded with a lot of white friends of how do I come into this space and dial things down a little bit Mm -hmm. and then into other spaces, dial back up so I could be seen as black, even though I'm just used to having a lot of white friends. And so I I always struggled with that. Mm -hmm. And then now I just feel like I'm I'm me. Mm -hmm. I'm owning it. And people have to accept me for who I am and not present a certain person to them. And I feel like a lot of people are going through that right now where maybe the work, the work environment, they are the token black woman, token black male mm-hmm. in that work environment and the stress and the pressure to have all of that weight on top of you. But now with the environment that we're in, a lot of companies are, are realizing, you know, Black Lives Matter is big. And we hope that it's not just a trend. It is something that these companies take on, not from just a statement, but they actually build upon that and look within their company and how do we hire more black mm-hmm. women and men. And so I see a lot of my friends having to handle this pressure of you know being that token black employee and feeling like they're supposed to have the answers mm-hmm. and their company's coming to them of what can I do next? And mm-hmm. that pressure, it's like, whoa, before I need to dial down my blackness to come into this environment. Now you want me to dial it up and share with you information and how you can fix the the environment. And so there is just a lot going on in the world right now. And I'm on maternity leave, so I haven't experienced any of that exact, but I know friends who have. Mm-hmm. And um, you're just seeing a lot of of people going through a lot of mental stress mm-hmm. and wanting to kind of shut things out and like step away from everything because there is just more pressure than there ever has been on black society mm-hmm. to not just perform, but to have answers and to support and educate. Mm-hmm. I am processing a lot. You know, not only do I have a, a black daughter coming into this world who has her own obstacles with some special needs and, and medical things that she's dealing with. Mm-hmm. But I have a black husband and I have a black brother and a black dad. And so 
way before I think about how I can educate my white friends, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how I can save my black family. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a stress in, in its own. And that's my first obligation is, is to them. You know, how, what can I do to make this world better for my daughter in, in 15, 18, 20 years when she is off into the world on her own? What can I do to to help protect my husband who is, you know, working and out in the community? And so when you see stories of Mon Arbor, like people who are, are just jogging mm-hmm. and getting shot because of who they are and what they look like and suspicion of what they're doing. And so, you know, me and my husband, we go for walks and we do live in a neighborhood that when we see another black couple, we're like, oh. Yes, you know, there, there, <laughs> there aren't a lot. That's just the, the truth. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. we'll be driving and we're like, is that kind of stalkerish to see where they're going? Where do they live? Like, are they <laughs> are they walking from afar? Or do they live close by? Can we be yeah. friends? Like, but yeah, yeah, you know, so that's kind of where we are. And, and so we do have those conversations where it's just like, oh, you know, do we need to be make it known that we live in this neighborhood? And, and it's just scary when these killings are happening over mm-hmm. everyday activities. I saw a tweet where it's like, we can no longer go for a jog. We can no longer eat at a restaurant. We could no longer walk our dog. Like there was just all these just daily activities where mm-hmm. people were getting killed because they were doing that because of who they are in the midst of that act. And that is scary. So like I said, before I think about how I can educate others, I think there's a sense of empathy of, you know, if you're a white friend and you have your black friends and you're thinking about how you can support them, take a minute to think about what this is doing to them. Mm-hmm. You know, when they see on TV, on the news, um, a black individual getting killed, how that's impacting their health, their mental health. Mm-hmm. So I can just know that when I see that, I, I see, I start to put my family in those situations and it scares me. Mm-hmm. And so it's that. And I think a lot, I saw an article about um, the black token friend. Mm-hmm. And that's also another stress of, you know, when you have a lot of friends who are white and they're looking to you because you're their one black friend also makes me think about for them, think about that. Like, mm-hmm. wow, not only do I need to do better about like sharing black stories, but who are, who's my circle? Does my circle look just like me? Mm-hmm. That's, that's an issue right there. Mm-hmm. And I purposely, my circle doesn't look just like me. I've, I've got a lot of black friends. I got a lot of white friends and Asian and everything, Filipino like, on purpose mm-hmm. because I, I value others' opinions and other stories. But I also just believe like when you're moving forward and, and creating a team, like diverse stories matter and they help you become a better person and for growth. And so I do challenge a lot of people to look at their circle. Mm-hmm. So it's great to, to shine light on a, a black woman or black man's story but when it's all said and done you know how are you on a daily basis hearing their stories mm-hmm. are you listening are you actually hearing to understand and so there's just so much more that can be done so i did want to ask do you feel like being in covid have you been having a lot more conversations with your parents about this or do you feel like it sounds like they did share a lot before but do you feel like it's been a good foundation to kind of for you guys to reconnect that way and chat more yeah i do i talk to my parents pretty often mm-hmm. in general but i feel like covid has made it's it's made us sit with ourselves a little bit more mm-hmm. and you have a little bit more time to like think about things mm-hmm. and to like deeply think about them not just like surface level yeah um and 
wants makes you want to have conversations of like so I listen to like the daily mm-hmm. a lot and I've mm-hmm. been there's just different stories about um, people passing away and not being able to have funerals and people passing away mm. and not knowing the depth of who they are and so like hearing those stories always, always makes me just think a little bit harder into like how well I know my family and my people but yeah so COVID has like sparked a little bit more conversation but also just so much things being like mainstream of having conversations around race and around Mm -hmm. their own struggles within growing up and Mm -hmm. then to now. And I think they're just kind of in awe of this, that this is still going on, you know, Mm -hmm. like they fought this fight back in the sixties and Mm seventies. And here we are still fighting this fight in a different way. And my, you know, my dad works in law enforcement. And so, you know, he's got his own particular values and views of things, but there's just so much going on like now between police and race and Mm -hmm. this conversation of you know who holds the responsibility of making change and hearing how deeply rooted some of the issues are within the police system you know Mm -hmm. the system in itself is corrupted and it's so hard because not all apples are bad. Not all cops are bad. I have, I've got friends and I've got family members who are in law enforcement and they have strong values. And, and I would believe that if they were in that situation, they would handle it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't speak to everyone. And so there, there's always this conversation around uh, reform, defund, all of that when it comes to the police brutality. And, mm-hmm. and I just feel like with COVID everyone has a lot of time on their hands but also it goes into deeper with the protests yeah you know I'm just amazed in the sense of we people are the protests are happening and it's almost like we're forgetting that we're in a pandemic Mm -hmm. and there's like this shift and Mm -hmm. so you're seeing everyone out there with their mask and how they're protesting it's like if people were out here risking their lives for this mm-hmm. cause during a pandemic it just shows you mm-hmm. how serious things are how do you feel like covid like what conversations <laughs> it sounds like a lot has happened oh, for you like having these conversations yeah. during covid but having i mean to be honest so my coworkers is so funny we have a really small team the pr and social media team um we've just gotten so close because we've had so much one-on-one facetime with each other versus Mm. you know at work sometimes you're just busy and you're kind of doing these things and although we really miss seeing each other physically we've also got to see each other's homes and you know seeing funny things that happen in your house and hear more about your personal life that I don't think we've had before and we've had way more discussion with everything that's happened and um, recently with the protests. It's just, um, it feels like it's such a great opportunity, at least for us, it's felt like we've been able to connect on a deeper level and less surface. Yeah. Um, Because, just because we've had to literally talk to each other every single day face-to-face on FaceTime for the last, I don't know, 13, 12 weeks. Yeah, so, and same, I agree with you earlier when you were talking about having the opportunity to reconnect with friends and realize how important it is to check in. Right. Um, I feel like COVID for some reason, I think has made a lot of people feel a little bit safer to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, in a different way than I think it has before. It has. And I think sometimes I have these deep thoughts of this, how COVID is impacting just everyone, um, despite mm-hmm. what's going on with the world, like looking a little bit deeper into individuals like people are losing jobs and being mm-hmm. furloughed people are 
having babies during COVID and Mm. just knowing how intense that situation was for me and having my husband there and my parents there like made a big difference Mm -hmm. in how we turned something that's supposed to be this like monumental time and just intimate time into just a routine of okay, you can have one person there and they can't be there when you deliver. And the nurses are wearing their protective shields and face masks. And we've just created this separation in some instances, but we've also built deeper connections in others. Mm -hmm. And so it's pulling some people apart and making a lot of things in life very impersonal and making some people really close. And so it's just impacting everyone in such a different level from you know, people graduate, my, my nephew graduated this year from mm-hmm. high school. And it, it, it just like, we had all these big goals of, you know, flying out to Florida and being there for him. And it was, mm. he's our, he's my only nephew. My, <laughs> um, like, yeah. And just not being able to do that. Mm-hmm. And as much as that seems so small, it just felt so big to us. Mm-hmm. But then there's others, like I said, who are losing their jobs or who are having to deal with knowing someone who's sick and can't visit them. Mm-hmm. It's just such a, an impact and shift on on the world. And I feel like coming out of this, a lot of people are going to just move a different way, mm-hmm. whether it be companies realizing that we can work from home and what is this five days a week shift? Do we need that? Like, mm-hmm. how can we be a little bit more innovative in how we are working? And, you know, school systems are, are becoming more creative and, you know, families are becoming closer and in, in using technology to, to talk to each other and see each other and just check in. So it is in some instances having like a very negative impact on others. Mm-hmm. But I definitely feel like from the year that I've had, sometimes you need to have like a little bit of a breakdown, a little bit of a Mm -hmm. a slap in the face Mm -hmm. to grow from. Like you've Mm got to be put on your butt to kind of realize, I don't like it down here. Mm -hmm. How how did I get here? (laughs) How do I make change? Mm -hmm. You know? And so sometimes we have to be shook a little bit. And so I think 2020 has shaken a lot of people and I will be interested and I hope that we all come out of this year stronger and better from it. I think there's something really powerful about everyone having to experience the exact same thing at the same time. Yes. You know what I mean? Because you're not separated by generations. Like it happened 20 years ago. It happened whatever. It's literally happening to everyone on earth at the same time. And I think there's something just very powerful to have that pause because my husband and I talk about this all the time. Like when in our lifetime, hopefully not again, Will this ever happen where we've been stuck together for three months? You know, he's a military pilot, so he's gone all the time. Mm. And he had just got back from a six-month deployment, and then we went into quarantine. And it's, I have to look at it. We're very fortunate. Neither of us lost our jobs, but as a blessing to have that much time. Um, Yeah. Because that's, you know, you don't get that back. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like for me, I've been on maternity, so I go back to work in like two weeks, mm-hmm. and I kind of was already living the quarantine lifestyle to begin with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, so it, it didn't hit me as hard. Yeah, uh, me and my husband always like kind of joke about this, but like for my daughter being like she's in the NICU now, she's on the floor, so she's living this hospital life, and mm-hmm. we've got to be really safe about how we visit her and and who we bring into the room and how we wash our hands. So we've been doing that since January. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit and it was kind of like, I don't go anywhere else but the hospital to see her. <laughs> yeah. 
but it is nice to know I could go somewhere if mm-hmm. I wanted to, but it hadn't made such an impact on our lives mm-hmm. as it had on others. But like you said, like just the, the fact that we're all going through it together, mm-hmm. it is quite the experience and to see how it's impacting everyone in its own unique way, mm-hmm. whether like I said, job or for the benefit or helping them out in one way or another. But yeah, I've, I've talked to my nephew who I thought would be kind of devastated about the whole experience of your senior year. Mm-hmm. And I talked to another senior too, that I know that I, I trained. that's also doesn't have a graduation and they both just so mature about it. of like, what can we do? You know, we're all going through it. It's not just me. It's everyone. Mm -hmm. I can't be so upset and feel like, oh, why me? Mm -hmm. It's like, why all of us? And so I was like, wow, I love that that's how you think. Because (laughs) I feel like me in high school would have been like devastated. You know, end of the world. I don't get my prom. I don't get to run track. Like, and he's just like, eh. Yeah. Like. (laughs) <laughs> There's bigger things going on. And I was like, yes, I love that you're taking it this way. So Yeah. Well, I also feel like everyone's kind of gone through phases in COVID. You know, there was the freak out kind of hoarding phase at the beginning everyone had. Yes. <laughs> and and then there's the, you know, people were really bored. And then it, you just get into a routine. And it's your new normal. And it's pretty amazing how fast we can adapt um, yeah. to a different lifestyle. You know, I'm in Virginia and I go to the store and everyone has a mask on. And I remember looking around thinking, who would have thought six months ago that it was so normal? I'm looking for the hand sanitizer around, you know, I'm looking for my mask. It's in my purse. Um, just a new way of life. Um, it is. No, like to add on to that, <laughs> yeah. like going into the hospital, it used to be if you were wearing a mask, it meant like you were sick mm-hmm. or some sort. And so mm-hmm. you were trying to protect yourself. And so they didn't want you to really wear them because it, it made you like a target. It's like, if you if you need to wear a mask, you should stay home. Mm-hmm. And now it's like the norm, like you should wear a mask. And I was leaving my daughter's room and heading out to the parking lot and I forgot to put my mask on. And like the way people were looking at me was like, <laughs> I was, I don't know. I kept looking like, do I have food on my face? Like, and I was like, oh my gosh, my mask is not on. Uh, but yeah. like, I was getting these looks like, oh, does she not know? <laughs> But it's just this new norm. And it is. when I go to a grocery store, like they have those notes of like, don't touch a lot of items that you're not going to buy. Now I see myself like being very conscious of like, okay, do I want that? Okay. Okay. I'm going to grab that one thing. Now I've like committed. Like I got to, I have to buy this now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I forgot. I kept saying in the back of my head, I did want to ask um, if you don't mind me jumping back to when you said that you were, you know, raised in a predominantly white neighborhood. I did want to ask, did you feel like, I mean, I'm sure it was just normal for you because you're a kid. And I know that you guys were seeking out other black families, but were there ever any, any instances that you were really reminded that you were black? You know what I mean? When you're in school in terms of yeah, people treating any kids treating you a certain way, or do you feel like the neighborhood that you're in? Because I, I think it does matter what community you're in. You know, some people right. might be might be fortunate to be in a community where, um, you know, maybe there's a lot of different ethnicities. Um, but it sounds anyway. I don't know where I'm going, but I just want to know if there were any times where you kind of felt singled out. Yeah, and I would say like that would probably for me was like elementary school. Mm-hmm. Elementary school was when I kind of realized like, oh, okay, I am different. The things are there is a shift in how I have to move, but. 
I had kids make comments about my hair mm. and you know why is your hair like that and that created my own like insecurity of like loving my hair but also just understanding like my hair doesn't look like theirs like it doesn't get as straight as theirs and I have to work with it a little differently and people are noticing that I, I'm I am different mm-hmm. but outside of that like I was lucky enough that I did receive a lot of love in the community that I was in. Mm-hmm. They did accept us. And those moments, I did feel like maybe from there not being other black kids as boys, like there wasn't a lot of crossover. I didn't feel like the white boys that I was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had to, like, if I had a crush on someone, it was it had to be the black boy. Mm. Um, and like that, that didn't cross over. Like there wasn't like, oh, this white boy has a crush on Felicia. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you didn't see that. Mm-hmm. It was kind of people like stayed in their place and not, mm-hmm. not, didn't make it so vocal where it was like, oh, I can't like you because you're black, but it just, that shift kind of happened. And mm-hmm. I, as I got older, I feel like I realized that more and more that there wasn't that crossover, but by middle school and high school, I, I felt like it became a little bit more the norm of black and white interracial love. And, mm-hmm. and, but the community I was in, thankfully enough, I did not feel like, singled out but Mm -hmm. I definitely didn't feel like I always belonged yeah such a different experience from your mom's stories huh yeah yeah very much like in her in her stories she was singled out it was like Mm -hmm. no we don't like you because of your color of your skin yeah that wasn't said to me growing up but I just felt like there was something missing I didn't felt like I was always welcomed Mm -hmm. um but I think when you grow up and you look around it's like you notice, like not everyone here looks like me. I'm where, where am I? Where are the other girls at? Where are my other sisters at? And so mm-hmm. you just, and then you get to middle school, you get to high school, and each grade I felt like each school I went to, more and more black community was more, but it still wasn't to any level that it should be, and that mm-hmm. it was in other communities. So I have a another girlfriend actually who was raised similarly to you in similar kind of community, um, and she said whenever she would go home and be with her cousins there was almost like she felt like she didn't fit in with her white friends because she wasn't white. And then she'd go home and they'd make fun of her because she wasn't really black. or But she looked, you know what I mean? Like she yeah. didn't act like the black kids that she would go home to. And she kind of always felt like, I don't know where I belong because I don't look the same, but I don't act the same. Um, did you ever feel anything like that from growing up in different communities? Yeah, I, you know, I would go back home and mm-hmm. when I say home, I just say back to the South and they would always say, you talk funny. Why do you talk <laughs> like that? That's what I would get from them. You talk, yeah. you talk white. I would get that a lot. Um, you talk white. At, yeah, and I'm like, oh gosh. And then I go back to back home, and it'd be like they, you know, when I go back, they would never say like, "You talk black." They never said that. <laughs> that yeah. would have been an issue. We never had that. I would say, I'm, like I said, I'm thankful that I didn't have any of those kind of issues where mm-hmm. I grew up. Um, yeah. They, I had family, I had white friends who took me in. They were, I was their family, and vice versa. And my parents are very welcoming. And um, but I definitely got that when I would be with my other family and and hear, why do you talk like that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd have those conversations with my parents of like, what do they, what do they mean? And, and mm-hmm. having to understand is like, own who you are. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like when you come back here, you have to talk a certain way. No, they have mm-hmm. an accent. That's fine. Like yeah. you're going to go different places. Everyone has an ask it, accent. Everyone has a little slang to what they, what words they might use depending on where they live. And mm-hmm. 
that is it. And so I feel like I kind of definitely went to my parents to kind of understand what they meant because they lived that life too of growing up in the South and then moving to California and this kind of this cultural change, Mm -hmm. not just based on the color of your skin, but just based on where you are. And so I had to lean on them and get that confidence of like, no, (laughs) you continue to don't go back and try to change how you talk and how you write and who you are. You are beautiful the way you are. And um, yeah, yeah, but I definitely understand what she's saying. Not really fitting either place. Yeah. We're not feeling like that. But I I also will say, I know earlier we were talking about being in our 20s and how things have really changed. But man, if there's one thing about being in my 30s is just, I feel like there's this sense of freedom or almost this, I don't know, just being so comfortable where you really just don't care anymore. I I remember being younger and caring what everyone thought and wanting to please everybody. And I I just didn't want to hurt people's feelings and I want to be friends with everyone. And it's not like I'm like, screw you now. But now I just feel so solid in who I am and what I believe in and the kinds of people I want to be around that it just doesn't, it's so, I don't know, it just doesn't feel the same as in my 20s. Oh, I, I definitely, I feel that way as well. I feel like each decade goes by and I'm like, the 30s is like the best one so far of like, owning who you are and like, no, I, I don't care. Yeah. You know, you, you realize that everyone doesn't have to like you mm-hmm. and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. And if they don't like you, it doesn't have to be for some big reason of you did something to them. Mm-hmm. It's simply, you guys just don't mesh and mm-hmm. that's fine. You're and not their person. Yeah. yeah. And like coming to p- peace with that. It's like, oh, but I remember growing up, um, just in general, you kind of have that insecurity of being a young girl. I think no matter who you are, we all go through that of the peer pressure and wanting to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had like a family member say, I went to the South and I was outside. It's super hot, hot and I got a little darker. And like, mm-hmm. oh, and they made a joke. They're like, yeah. oh, you look a little darker. <laughs> and I was like, is that bad? Like, <gasps> and then the next summer, I wouldn't go outside. Like that's how much it impacted me. Wow. Like, I didn't want to go play outside. I mm-hmm. wanted to sit inside in the shade and they made fun of me for that. But it was like, I felt like, oh, I don't want to be too dark. And I think there's levels to that of mm-hmm. whether it be your hair or, you know, darker skin versus lighter skin, black women. Like there's mm-hmm. all these different kind of, I don't even know that, not wars, but like this like battle with yourself of mm-hmm. being accepted within your own community, but also within other communities. But mm-hmm. I remember hearing that. And that really shifted how I did things and made me insecure about being a, a dark black woman. And now I'm like, I'm owning it. Mm-hmm. And I've been owning it for years, but it's like, you just learn what to let get to you. But sometimes those seeds planted at a young age mm-hmm. will carry with you for years and years, not even realizing that that was planted when you were 10 or 12. I'm sure having a daughter too has probably impacted you too in in ways of you know wanting her to be able to feel confident in her ethnicity you know what I mean and not having to worry about this things that maybe you did or your mom did and yeah it has it has and and so the audience knows but you know my daughter was born with Pfeiffer syndrome and Mm -hmm. it is a rare disease where she's going to have a facial difference it's where the skull fuses prematurely so when you're born you have these soft spots and Mm -hmm. You'll see babies come out with their heads all odd shapes and then they kind of form to their own because mm-hmm. they have all the soft spots. She didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So her skull was completely fused and we've had to have different surgeries to open up and allow her brain room to grow. Mm-hmm. But because of that, you know, it's made her have like a small orbit for her eyes. So they sit for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me and my husband have had long talks of, you know, always wanting to pour love into her regardless, but understand of the self-love. 
mm-hmm. and different being beautiful. We're all different and unique in our own ways, whether it be our skin, whether it be our hair, whether it be our culture, we're all different. And we want her to know that different doesn't make you less than, you mm-hmm. know? And so we all have our differences and some are easier seen than others. But like you said, it's just made me even more want to reinforce this sense of self-love and and know as a young Black woman what I went through and wanting to have those talks with her early on so she has someone to go to during those times. And so mm-hmm. she's not looking to, around and like not vocalizing that because there was... I didn't vocalize all the time some of the insecurities and some of the things I was going through. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I did, I wouldn't have had them for so long. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been dealing with those like inner demons for so long. And so, yeah, when you become a parent, it just heightens kind of what your childhood was like and what Mm -hmm. you want to change and how you want to live your life. But then when you add on, you know, having a child who's like has their own special needs, Mm -hmm. it just takes it to another level. And so a lot of my inspiration lately is is sharing her story mm-hmm. and allowing others to be educated on what she's going through. Because at the end of the day, she's going to be a young black woman with you know a disability, a special need, and that creates its own obstacles in life. And so mm-hmm. I want to give her all the tools that she will need early on to get through it, mm-hmm. but also to always know that she's so loved and just so appreciated and so valued. And I think that's a lot about what we're saying when we say Black Lives Matter. It's like, we are valued, we are respected, we are loved, we, we deserve all that, and we're not, we're not receiving it. Mm. Not that, you know, this life doesn't matter. No, it's that the Black life right now is under attack. Why is it under attack compared to other lives? So, ooh. I know that people listening, um, you know, if they want to learn more about you or follow you, is your Instagram the best place for listeners to do that? Yeah, yeah. My Instagram, Felicia11, F-A-L-E-S-H-A. That's my Instagram. And I I do my best to, you know, I share my daughter, I share myself, and Mm -hmm. I I like to talk. So I do a lot of little... IGTV episodes. I yeah. feel like sometimes writing it has its own power, but like seeing someone's face and voice and hearing mm-hmm. their voice, it kind of delivers a message in a different way. So mm-hmm. I do speak there and I have a blog where I talk about, you know, my journey as a mom with my daughter and I intend on adding more stories about like lifestyle stories and mm-hmm. and what it is like to be a black woman in America right now, to be a mother in America right now, to have a daughter with her own like medical complex needs and so those are two great ways the uh the website is feliciajohnson.com so i am so happy that we got to reconnect Um, hi friend thank you so much for sharing your time with me today did you find value in this episode i would really appreciate it if you would rank and review it on apple Podcasts, as it helps so much with ranking and visibility and do you know someone who needs to listen to this episode Simply click on the episode on whatever app you're on and click the share button and text, email, or share it on social media with them. Wherever you are in the world right now, I'm sending you all of my love and hope that you're happy, healthy, and well. Much love, Estelle May.